Welcome to the Female Physician Entrepreneurs Podcast. This podcast was started to help entrepreneurs start and build their business. If you're a female physician, then join us on our Facebook group, Female Physician Entrepreneurs. This is Sharon McLaughlin. I started this group so that female physicians would have a place where they could learn about business and be supported. Most importantly, grow in a thriving environment. Our website and our Facebook group are down below in the show notes. In today's episode, we are going to be speaking to Andrea Vetter. Andrea is a lawyer in Kentucky. She is also the founder of Your Entrepreneur School. Now, the reason why I wanted to have her come on is because there are mistakes that people make when they're first starting their business, and it seems to be repetitive. We see this trend over and over again. So I thought by having Andrea come on and speak about some of these common mistakes, we can hopefully prevent them for you. And also, if you are making mistakes, that you can go ahead and take action to correct these. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Andrea Vetter. I'm a practicing attorney and I'm also the founder of Your Entrepreneur School, where we help female entrepreneurs just kind of figure out the legal stuff in their business, mostly through information, just so they kind of know what's going on and know if they need to hire an attorney or if they can just kind of figure it out on their own. So I was taking a look at your website. Everyone do take a look at the website because there's, you know, some questions that come up are like disclaimers. We're physicians in the group, so there's always a concern about disclaimers. So that is, you know, I definitely saw a blog post on that with really some great suggestions. So do take a look at the website. So as far as mistakes that people make when they're starting the business, what are some of the things that you see repetitively? So these are not in any particular order. The first mistake that I see is people just not choosing the correct entity. I know that probably as physicians, you have the same kind of concerns as I do as a lawyer with, you know, malpractice and things like that. And so having a formal entity type doesn't necessarily keep you from malpractice concerns, but it can help you in a lot of other different ways. And so that's one of the biggest, you know, people think they're just ready to get started. And so they don't give any thought to, you know, what is correct for them. And then now that the S corporation is becoming more popular, it's usually an income threshold. And so a lot of people just aren't switching over and you can make the right decision. It's just putting in the time to think about it. And so that's the biggest mistake. The good news is you can almost always change when you know that you're ready. So that's a pretty easy mistake to fix as long as no problems come up. You mentioned the income income threshold. Is there like a specific income threshold that people should look at? There's really not. I've heard a lot of CPAs say around sixty to seventy thousand dollars. What really it is, and physicians, this is going to be higher. It's what is considered a reasonable salary because even if you're an S corporation, you can't just pay yourself twenty thousand dollars and then you know you still have to pay yourself what is reasonable. If you make more than let's say you know if you were to go work for someone else, then I would say it might be time to talk to a CPA about converting to an S corporation. Some of that money in the business. A lot of us in the group are also doing side gigs. So this is really why I had you come on as well. It's not so much the medical, but there's health coaching, there's authors. Yes. It's all really very, you know, different types of side gigs, which I think is great. So yeah, I do too. Thank you. Too. What other uh, 
you know, issues to come up that you see? One. The next one that I see a lot is not having the right contracts in place. And especially if you're doing coaching or something, having a written agreement with your clients is really important, not only for the legal part, but just so they know what to expect. They know what you are or are not doing. As a physician offering health coaching, that's also a great place to put in your disclaimer. You know, I'm not offering you medical advice necessarily in this capacity. If you have employees having an employment agreement, if you have independent contractors having those kinds of agreements, non-disclosures, just all of the different, all of the different um, contracts that you need in your business. I just see a lot of people kind of going on their word and then having issues later on. These are great. Really, these are like really good points to hone in on. The next one is how people, how you're handling the people who work for you. So one of the biggest issues I see is, you know, you think you are saving money by hiring somebody as an independent contractor, but then you're treating them as an employee and that's going to get you in trouble with the IRS. And so just really making sure that if you're hiring independent contractors, that they are truly an independent contractor. And if you're hiring employees that you are managing that relationship. Anything to look at specifically for that the IRS looks for as far as differentiating the two? Yes. So the IRS does have a test that they look at. I think there are nine factors. I don't remember them off the top of my head, but it's things like if you are providing the office space and all the tools that someone needs to work for you, if they don't really have the freedom or the time to work with anyone else, that's really the biggest one I think is if you're calling someone an independent contractor, they should really have their own business. And most businesses don't, have one client and that's it. You know, they have multiple clients. So if you're set up in such a way that it makes it impossible for them to work with other people, more than likely they're an employee. Thank you. All right. What else is on the list? This is great. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. The next one is just intellectual property concerns. So either not looking for existing trademarks when you first get started to make sure you're not infringing on anyone else's, to make sure you are protecting your own intellectual property. So anything that you create, protecting it with copyright or applying for your trademarks and protecting those trademarks too. That's a big one that I see, you know, people find a name that they love and it's available in their state. So they think it's no problem, but then turns out it's, you know, has federal trademark protection. And so just spending a little bit of time making sure that you are allowed to use, because you'll just have to change it later. You have to pay money too. <laughs> so. No, that's really important. I know that there's a couple of websites that I've come across as far as doing searches. Do you recommend those or do you recommend something else? What, what, I what's actually worse? like um, the federal, it's uh, uspto.gov. That's the one and I was thinking of. They have a search and it's, you know, you'll search for your exact term. And then if there are any synonyms or things like that, that you can think of, if you, if you're going to hire a trademark attorney, they will do a search, but there are also companies that will do a search for, and they do an extensive search. It's a little bit pricey. It's around six to $700. But if you have a name that you're really attached to, but also afraid that it might be used, then those are worth it. If somebody was interested in trademarking, doing the, the search, would you help them with that? Sure. I can help with that. I do. That's actually, I do that through my law practice. And so since trademark is a federal law, then I'm allowed to do that in any state. I'm not restricted to Kentucky. So that's nice. All right. What else is on your list? You're so good for preparing this for us today. Thank you. <laughs> no, seriously. 
So the next one on the list is taxes, and that is income taxes, sales taxes, use taxes, all of the taxes, payroll taxes. Um, and I feel like the biggest problem with this is if you are not doing it correctly, sometimes a couple of years can pass before anybody figures it out. And so you maybe don't have time to fix it. And then they're going to come back and say, oh, well, now you owe all of these back taxes. So it's important to make sure you get that stuff lined up correctly from the beginning, just so you are paying them as you go. It's a lot easier than getting $50,000 tax bill three years from now. Absolutely. Where do you recommend someone start with this? An accountant? Or how do you make sure that you know, you're setting up and paying the right taxes from the beginning? I would start with a CPA, especially somebody in your area who knows your state and local taxes, because that's really the biggest issue that I see people not following is their state and local taxes. You know, they know about the federal taxes, but there can be some pretty detailed local taxes that you aren't And there. Luckily, you don't pay as much. So even if you aren't paying them for five years, you're not going to have as big of a tax bill. But I think a CPA can walk you through the different taxes that you have to pay. And then if you work with them ongoing, they can handle those filings, which is good. But at least an initial meeting where then they tell you what to do and then you just keep going with it. I've seen people do that successfully too. It's really more just knowing what you need. And then you may be able to do it. You could even maybe have a bookkeeper or somebody less educated do it once you know what has to be done. That's great. These are really great tips for everybody. I'm so glad that you came on today. Would you like to cover anything else? So I have two more. Um, I have two more problems or two more mistakes. Um, This next one is, it's, it's one of the biggest problems that I see and it's very broad. It is ignoring problems when they come up. So I have seen people receive notice of a lawsuit and they think, oh, well, if I just don't do anything, it's going to go away. That's not what happened. You know, if you get a letter from some agency and you think, oh, well, if I just don't do anything, nothing's going to happen. As soon as you are presented with a problem, it's always better to just handle it right away. Because especially in the case of lawsuits, a lot of people think, oh, if I don't respond or if I just completely ignore it, it'll go away. That's not what happens. They actually get a default judgment and then you don't even get a chance to defend yourself. It can apply in a lot of different areas, but anytime a problem comes up, I would say the worst thing you can do is ignore it. Just especially legally, because things don't tend to get better with time Um, and they don't usually just go away. You want it to go away though, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) It's like the jury notices when they come, it's like you want to slide it underneath the pile of papers. Right, exactly. And the last mistake that I thought of today is, and this one is especially important if you have incorporated your business. So if you are an LLC or a corporation, commingling funds will probably cause you to lose your liability protection. And so, especially if you're the single owner, you think, well, I'm an LLC, but I can go ahead and pay this out of the business account. Or, you know, you don't really keep track of what the income coming in, you don't keep them separate. And then if you were to get sued later on, that's one of the biggest factors for, we call it piercing the corporate veil. So, and it's easy to do because you think, especially if you're the sole owner, you're thinking, well, this is my money anyway. So what's it matter if I pay my mortgage with it, you know, but it's very important that if you have a business account, it leaves your business account, goes into your personal account before you use it for any personal expenses. And that's a big one that I see a lot, especially amongst, it's really sole owners that make that mistake. 
more often than anybody else. Thank you. It's a wealth of information. And we definitely would like to have you come back as far as doing trademark and copyright. That would be wonderful. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today on Female Physician Entrepreneurs Podcast. If you like our podcast, could you please give it a nice review? Also, if you could share the news with your family and friends and tell them about our podcast, we greatly appreciate it. We'll see you on another episode.